following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Joel, Joel chapter number one, and if you'll remain standing for just a moment as we read the Word of God, look with me at Joel chapter number one. And we're going to begin in verse number four. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. That which the canker worm hath left, the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. For it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. And he hath the cheek uh, teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean, bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ashamed, ye husbandmen. Howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because of the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Now, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Thank you, Father, for your word. And Father, as we pray so often that you would take this word and change us with it. So, Father, bless it to our hearing but not just to our hearing, but to our applying of it as well. And Father, do your work as only you can as we give full control to the Holy Spirit and his guidance. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I want to uh, take great pains as we go through this study in the book of Joel um, to use caution as we study it. Uh, This minor prophet especially um, is a highly emotional prophecy that is very rich in imagery and contains many vivid descriptions, and uh, I want to be very careful. So as we move along in this study, we will see some great uh, depictions of judgment that are uh, given to us. Uh, We're going to see many depictions that, if not handled with care, can lead us to miss the grandeur uh, of, of our Lord. We can completely lose sight of how gracious and how glorious God is. So as I stated before, uh, while the gospel is good news, it is also very bad news because what we need to understand, the gospel being the good news of the death, the resurrection, uh, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where it becomes bad news is simply this, you're a sinner and you needed him to do that. And you see, until we are confronted with this truth, it, the, the good news really doesn't appear all that appealing. The good news is just news to those who don't understand the sickness. If you were prescribed by a doctor, let's say uh, he just walks up to you on the street, some doctor just randomly walks up to you on the street and says, here's a prescription for medication. And you just kind of walking away going, well, this guy's done lost it because you didn't get the news that maybe you were battling cancer. You see, there's a difference between having good news and understanding what makes the good news good news. To someone who never hears the uh, the reality that they are a sinner, that they are uh, uh, racked in, uh, in, in, in rags of sin, and it's time for them to find way and to find hope. What can, what can deal with this? How do I handle the guilt and the shame? This is one of the biggest questions that we come into. I, I don't understand how I, can, how I can make it from one point to the next, or, or perhaps they're facing the, uh, the reality that one day they too will shuffle off this mortal coil, and they will have to give an account for things. Uh, whatever it is, they need to realize that, yes, there is good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came to this earth, lived the life that you should have lived, died the death that you and I should have died. He did it for you. That's wonderful news, glorious news. But if I don't see why I need it, it doesn't really make that much of a difference to me. And so the gospel wakes us up to our need for a Savior. That's where we want to start with folks. I think too often, if we're not careful, we start with the good news without letting them know why they need the good news. Listen, my friend, I'm so thankful for the day that someone let me know I was a filthy, rotten sinner. Because if I had never come to realize that, I would have never come to realize his payment for me. It would have meant nothing to me. And so I want to be cautious with this as we go through this. Today we're going to see the grace of God in his warnings. Now, warnings are not to be avoided. Catch this. We do not want to avoid these warnings. Too many people fear being judged that they miss the grace found in the warnings of God. 
Oh, I don't want anybody judging me. No, nobody, don't, don't anybody judge me now. Listen, we all stand naked before God anyway. There, there's, there's nothing he cannot see, he does not know. He knows it all. And so we just need to wake up to that reality that I can hide nothing from the Lord. I can't. But we are in such a, the modern mantra of don't judge me has led us into this idea that anyone who points out a problem is being prejudiced and insulting. <laughs> no, my friend, if you have a booger hanging off your nose and I let you know I, that you have a booger hanging off your nose, it's not because I'm a boogerist, all right? It's because you have a booger hanging off your nose and I don't want you walking around looking like a moron with a booger hanging out your nose. It's called love and kindness. How many times have you walked around with something on your face and finally someone comes and lets you know that something is there and what goes through your mind? How long have I been like this? How many other people have seen me and said nothing? You know, the ones that say they're your friend, the ones that say they love you and yet let you walk into that conference room with your bosses with a booger hanging out your nose. Those are your real friends, aren't they? No, the one who goes, uh, dude, you got a bat hanging out the cave. That's your friend, all right? Those are the people that are telling you the truth. But in this modern idea, this modern day of don't judge me and don't tell me my problems, don't let me, don't, don't, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong, don't say anything about that. That modern mantra is just let me walk around with whatever I have all over my face and leave me alone. <laughs> we got to get out of that mentality, folks. It's time for us to wake up and say, hey, there's a problem. I remember when I first moved to the Middletown area, there's, this, there's one street where there's kind of this, uh, uh, it's a, it's a two-way, and then all of a sudden it goes to one way. And there's this gas station right in the middle of that little split off. And so I go get gas one day, and I'm getting ready to pull out, and, and I, got, I got my, it was a UDF. Y'all don't have UDFs up here, do you? Y'all don't have UDFs. UDF, United Dairy Farmers. They have some of the absolute best milkshakes you have ever had in your life. You will go to UDF one day in the Cincinnati area. You will get a UDF milkshake, and then you will drive home and smack your mom for never having get, gotten you to UDF. They have the best. And so I go in, and I get this milkshake, and I'm coming out fat, dumb, happy. I get in the, in the car. I'm ready to roll down, and guess what I did? Turned the wrong direction on a one-way road. Yeah, oops. Thankfully, there was a police officer. Talk about, you know, just compound interest, right? Police officer right down the road here, he threw on his lights real quick and pulled around. And I see the sign that says, wrong way. Like, oh, no. So after I pulled my heart out of my socks, I pulled back into the parking lot of the gas station. I was given a warning. There was a sign in front of me, warning me. There was a police officer, flipped his lights on, warning me. You're doing something wrong. I wonder how many times we're given warnings. And instead of paying heed to those warnings, we look at the police officer, hey, it's kind of rude, I'm not speeding. 
Well, who put all these signs out? Well, I don't care. I'm going to go this way. This is the direction I want to go. So who are they to tell me that I can't drive this direction? Here we have in the Word of God an example of a warning. And we got to be careful not to avoid warnings. Don't be so afraid of being judged that you miss the grace and the warnings of God and understand that the warnings of God are exactly that, grace. So many people see the word of God as a bunch of rules and regulations. Can I let you know something? It is the grace of God that he let you know what is right and what is wrong. It is the grace of God that he put it down in black and white, sometimes red. It is the grace of God that he handed it to you, that he gave you people in your life to show you the word of God, to show you what is right, to show you what you ought not to be doing. He outlines it. He makes it very clear, and he even gave you a conscience. Think about that for just a moment, to let you know that as you're going through life and you're getting ready to push that person out into the street because he just looked at you funny, there's something in the back of your mind going, don't do it. This is grace. But too often we're so focused on the warning. Who is he to tell me what to do? That we miss the glorious grace of our Lord in it all. I want you to notice what's taking place here. Look at verse 4 again with me. This is that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, the canker worm hath eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, the caterpillar eaten. Awake! <laughs> Wake up! Do you see the problem that you're dealing with? So here's what's taking place. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about where we are with where Joel is in the timeline and how things were going glorious in in the eyes of the people. But I want us to realize something here. They they had uh, the early 800s BC was a time of great prosperity for the people of God. Great prosperity in the time of Israel and in the time of Judah. They they were extremely well off. Everything was going wonderfully well. I'm not talking spiritually. I'm talking financially. They had their their stocks and bonds were up. The the interest rate was was low. Everything was going great. Gas was only a quarter a barrel. Things were wonderful for the people of God at this time. They got lazy. And when they get lazy, They started becoming self-centered and self-focused. And as we looked last week and we noticed what happened here, we have this evil woman who decides she's going to wipe out the royal line because her son's dead now. She's going to wipe out the rest of them and take control. And nobody was doing anything. We're doing okay. Everything's going all right. Understand this. Sin always comes at a cost. This is a fact that must not be ignored and excused as lovingly accepting someone else. The people of God might have tried to excuse themselves away, go, 
Well, you know, I know God said he wanted one of the sons on the throne. I know that, but I don't want to be chauvinistic. I don't want to be accused of being a sexist, so I'm just going to not say anything. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to ignore it. Listen to me, my friends. Whenever we do anything that is contrary to the way God prescribed it, we are doing it wrong. Regardless of how much we may think that we love someone else. Regardless of how much we want to be kind and accepting. Listen to me. If I am going the wrong way down a one way, don't look at me and go, oh, bless his heart. He must just like driving east. Stop me. Get me on the right road and help me to see what I'm doing is wrong. And the same is true here. If I am caught in sin and I am living a life of sin, I am doing things contrary to what the Word of God has to say. If I am living that kind of lifestyle, don't go, well, I love him too much and I don't want to hurt his feelings. Stop me and let me know I am going the wrong way. I am going against God and I don't want to be against God. This is what we have to come to grips with. And this is what was going on in the people of of Judah. Joel here is prophesying, and he's saying, it's time for you to wake up. Just, Just so that we understand what's going on in this, how, how do we know, someone might ask, how do we know that this calamity, this locust plague, and we're going to look at it just, just briefly, how can we know that this locust plague was from God and not just coincidence? Now, let's go ahead and put this out there. A lot of people blame Satan for stuff that Satan has nothing to do with, and a lot of people blame God for stuff that God has nothing to do with. I, and a lot of times people are, well, you know, God must be punishing me. Why? Because I ran out of gas yesterday. Satan's against me. Why? Because I ran out of gas yesterday. Now you're just too stupid to think ahead and put gas in the car. Ain't God's fault. Let's not lay that one on Satan. You were lazy. You didn't think ahead. You ran out of gas. It's <laughs> not blame. Well, it can't be my fault, preacher. It can't be my fault. I mean, I'm not not that way. I was telling my daughter here a couple weeks ago, there was a lady that had run out of gas, and and she says, how can you run out of gas? And I said, babe, there's two kinds of people in this world, those that have and those that will. If you've never run out of gas yet, God bless you. You're perfect, and the rest of us are dumb. But I've run out of gas. I've been there. I've done that. What we've got to learn is we don't blame everybody else for everything. But in this world of I'm okay, you're okay, it's always somebody else's fault. That's that's the modern philosophy. It's somebody else's fault. Boy, Rogers and Freud really did a number on people. It's somebody else's fault, bless you. Somebody else did it, not me. We need to understand something. I make decisions that lead to a cost. And sin always 
costs. Now, let's deal with this for just a moment. Don't want to be too quick to blame God for any problems, but I also don't want to be too quick to blame Satan for any problems. You see, let's let's get it out in the open. Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-present. And so we need to quit giving him so much credit. I can't take it. I can't take it. Oh, Satan's fighting me. Satan's fighting me. Satan's fighting me. Satan's fighting me. Don't give him that much credit. Satan's just a little blip in the radar of God's vast universe. I'm not saying he's not powerful. You need to understand what you're up against if you want to take him head on. But greater is he that is in me than Satan ever thought about being. And if I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, what in the world can Satan do? And Satan, when he does, when when he does have those moments where he wants to try to come at you and want to attack you, guess what, my friend? He can only do so when God says, okay. He doesn't get free reign. God still has his staying hand. And so even if Satan is responsible for some of this stuff, guess what? God is still right in the midst of it, working out what he knows is going to be good. That's a promise. Uh, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Um, How about this? All things work together for good. So why would I complain about that and give him so much credit? I'm not going to give him any credit. And even if Satan is coming up against me, God's the one using it, and God's the one gets credit. Idiot. You're just being used, and you don't even know it. I love it. Let's look at this. There are times that a storm is simply a storm. But there are also times when things are so uncommon that we need to pay attention to why it's happening. Well, Pastor, how do you know when something is from God and something is just a happenstance, you know? Um, Listen, everybody has car problems. Your car problems may not be because God is bringing his hand upon you. Everybody has car problems. I asked my dad one time, I said, Dad, how did you get so good at turning a wrench? He says, I've driven garbage all my life, son. Makes sense. Everybody has car problems. What we need to understand is when those things are out of the ordinary. Now, you go buy a brand new car, and the next day it breaks down. You take it back to the, back to the dealer and say, there's, there's a problem with this car. And they trade you for another one. And you take it home, and that day it breaks down. Okay, maybe God's trying to get your attention, all right? I remember my dad had a, when I was a little kid, my, uh, my dad wanted a motorcycle. He got on a motorcycle, and he had one of the, I think it was a Honda Goldwing or something. I can't remember for sure now what it was, but my mom did not want him on a motorcycle. My mom did not want to be left alone raising us two kids while he was on a motorcycle. So she prayed him off that motorcycle. I ain't kidding you. He'd take that bike out. He'd get to his destination, and it wouldn't start back up. He'd get it hauled back. As soon as he got it back home, guess what? Turn, start right up. He'd take it out another day, and it would get to the destination. It wouldn't start up. He said, I had to get rid of the motorcycle because I couldn't afford the tow bills. 
Every time I took it out, something would go wrong with it. Guy he sold it to never had a problem. Never had a problem. My mom prayed him off that motorcycle. It's when the uncommon things hit. Well, God must be, uh, must be upset at me. The tree fell on, right on my car. Well, so did your neighbor's house get hit and everybody. Now, you come talk to me about there's not a storm in the area and all of a sudden a tree just uprooted itself and planted right on top of your car. We got something to talk about. So what makes this locust plague different? Well, it wasn't a common occurrence for Israel. Locust plagues were more common in the Egyptian or in the uh, Egyptian and lower. It was really not at all that common in Egypt. And when someone it was a, kind of a more of an African area uh, thing, uh, uh, what made it uncommon in Egypt? Well, well, if it's not so uncommon in Africa, why why would you say that God was involved in that one? Because everything was annihilated in Egypt, but the land of Goshen was left alone. That's pretty uncommon. Everything's getting swarmed by the locusts except for this one little tract of land. That's uncommon. Locusts don't have, like, they're not picky. I mean, the Egyptian food's better. Stay off that Goshen stuff. It'll make you fat. They don't care. They're going to eat what is ever in their path. And so when you come to Israel, that was not a common thing. They were not typically plagued by locusts. It was very uncommon for these locusts. And now, now realize the, the idea that is with these locusts. Locusts can, can travel in swarms that can span. This swarm can span 40 to 60 miles. That's a big area. And when they come and they start to eat, all you hear is chew, 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 chew. We'll get into it a little bit more, but the Bible is very descript on these locusts, and he it refers to them as an army coming in. Look at verse number six. For a nation is come up upon my land strong without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. Oh, in other words, he's saying this army, this nation, this, this in, incredible force has come against, they're innumerable, you can't do anything about it. I looked up uh, studying into some of these different locusts, and, and it's, it's amazing. You see in these different African areas where the locusts would come and swarm, and these people would be running out and trying to beat the locusts off the plants. Within a moment, whole heads of cabbage just gone. It was not a very common thing for Israel. But then verse 4, it even explains it a little bit more. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, the canker worm eaten. That which the canker worm hath left, caterpillar had eaten. And so you have these different, these four different ones. You see the palmer worm, the locust, the canker worm, and the caterpillar. Notice the severity with which uh, this calamity hits the people of God. We're not seeing four different insects. We're seeing the same one. I want you to notice this. Now, some people have explained this as four different species. Um, so maybe if only one swarm in Egypt, how much more devastating could this have been in Israel? Others explain it 
as various stages from hatch to flyer to eating and to the completed uh, form. So you see the palmer worm, it's from the Hebrew word gazam, which just literally means gnawing or cutting. You have the locust, which would be the swarming locust. This, this word in the Hebrew is arbech from rabech, which literally means the many. There's so many you can't count them. They're innumerable. Uh, the canker worm is yelech, which would be the licking locust. Um, and then you have the caterpillar, which is the uh, Hebrew chasil, uh, or the stripping or the devouring locust. And many have tried to explain it as the different, the various stages. Now, it's one thing for them to hatch and then fly over, migrate, and take over your area. It's another thing for them to hatch, to fly around your area, to land and eat, and then to move on to the dying portion of their life, all of it in one and the same area. That's not common. And so the people of God need to wake up. God's trying to get your attention on something. So who should heed this warning? Note note with me some of the different people that are addressed in in this passage. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Awake ye drunkards and weep, and howl all ye drinkers of wine because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. This first group we're going to refer to as the pleasure seekers of this world. The pleasure seekers. Remember I told you uh, that the first part of the 8th century B.C. was a time of very, uh, very great prosperity. Life was good. Everybody was at ease. Many times we lose sight of God when we indulge in our frivolity. But I want you to see what's happened, what's taken time. Uh, Whenever national pride comes in, you got to be careful. National hedonism can also also start to come in, and this is this can be true of the church as well. This can be very true of the church. But when we have no time for God, but plenty of time for everything else, you need to realize you have slipped into idolatry, and idolatry of self tries to fit in time for God. Fit in time. This is, this is what is going on here in the, with the people of God, and it's going on, I believe, here in our nation as well. And if we're not very careful, understand this, it's not just outside these walls, it is inside these walls that this can hit. Whenever we start to say things like, I've got too much going on, I'm too busy, I can't find time, whoa, big red light. When I don't have time to fit in reading when I don't have time to fit in time in, uh, on my knees before God, when I don't have time for church, when I don't have time for the things of God, when I don't have time for that, it's time for me to stop and start pencil whipping the rest of my schedule so that I can get back to where God wants me. When I don't have time to read his word, but I got all the time in the world to check out what's going on on The Bachelor, there's a problem. When I don't know, I can't remember the last time I've enjoyed a sweet hour of prayer, but I can tell you all the stats on the, well, who are they now, the Guardians or whatever whatever the name is now, 
God forbid you call them the Indians. When I have time for all that, but not this, and I start to look at my schedule, and I'm going, nope, nope, nope. I'm sorry, it's this way now. That's right, you got to do it this way now. Nope, don't have time for that. You know what? Friday between 2 and 2.05 looks good. I'll pencil God in there. That's what we refer to as Christian hedonism. I'm good to turn my K-love on, but I'm not going to actually make time for God. I'm good to slap a bumper sticker on my car, but I'm not going to actually make time for God. I'm good to wear a T-shirt about God, but I'm not actually going to make time for Him. I'm good to let all the people that know that I'm not doing what I ought to do, I'm, I'm, I'm good to let them know that I love God and I believe in God, but I'm not actually going to show my love for God and spend time with Him. And then we wonder why things don't go You see, the warning signs are all there. The warning signs are being given. And when you have no time for God, but plenty of time for everything else, realize you have slipped into idolatry, idolatry of self. You are God. Your schedule is God. Maybe your children are God. Maybe your boss or your job is God. Something other than God has become God in your life. Now, excuses can abound, but we really have no good reasons. So it's time for us to be careful. Let the uh, verse 9, you notice, he says, The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. and new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. understand what is being said here with the grain and the drink offerings. The grain and the drink offering was to be offered with the sin offering. This was sort of an above and beyond that sin offering. This was to be an offering of worship. I love God. And because I love God, I'm going to give to God. But here's what happens. When gas prices go up, the giving to God, we want to hold back. And this is what they were doing. We need to realize that Joel is trying to warn the people here to wake them up to this reality. Far worse than their food and drink shortage Joel had to remind them that God's worship had been compromised. God's worship was being held back because they were only worried about the physical. Too often we only see the physical, and we need to understand that the spiritual is more important. If I have to lose sleep so that I can spend time in his word, it's okay. 
if I don't get to catch up on my latest series that I'm binging to spend time in his word, it's okay. If I have to tell my kids no to spend time in his word, it's okay because that's more important. Now, while the partiers were wondering why they had to pay more for their supplies, the farmers were crying. Notice what he says. He says here in verse 11, Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, how, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Listen. When the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nothing can steal that away. Nothing. But when what this land has to offer is your joy, you can lose it quickly. Don't lose that. Where's your joy? This is what he's trying to get their attention on. Hey, God is still here. God is still on the throne. Quit looking at the crops that are being destroyed. And I know it's difficult to say to a farmer, don't worry, you didn't get any crops in. That's okay, you'll survive. But God is still on the throne. And we need to remember that. And look last with me. Verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 13. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. How, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. In other words, worship has stopped. You want to know the thing that keeps most pastors, most pastors, there's a lot of people trying to pass themselves off as pastors today. You want to know what keeps most pastors awake at night? The thought that the worship is being withheld from God. This is why when we sing songs about God, we want to sing with our heart. It's not just a matter of, well, it's singing time. I guess we got to hurry up and get this over with. No, it's we are here to praise him. And because of how wonderful he is, my heart overflows with joy. And I want to sing praises, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I want to sing about that amazing grace and my chains, the chains that held me captive. I was bound to sin are gone. I want to sing about that. You want to know what keeps pastors awake? Why aren't they singing? Why why do people love him? You want to know what torments the heart of a pastor more than anything? It has nothing to do with a tithing box. It has everything to do with loving God. I don't care if anybody puts a dollar in the plate. I want him to fall in love with Jesus. That's where it goes. And he's telling the priest, he says, wake up. 
Don't cry because you're not getting the tithe. Cry because God's worship is being withheld. That's where we ought to go. Religious leaders should have been directing everyone to God to begin with. Religious leaders should have been trying to get the attention of the people from day one. They should not have been watering down God's word and excusing the king's and this time queen's sin. Our world is in trouble, and you want to know why our world is in trouble today? Because the pulpits in America are full of water, but it's not living. The pulpits today are drying up, spiritually speaking. Instead of calling sin, they ignore sin. We get into this tolerant mindset. Servants of God, Servants of God, quit buying in to this tolerate sin agenda. Sin needs to be called out for what it is, and we can't dismiss and diminish it anymore. It's not the guy told a little white lie. He didn't stretch the truth. He lied, which is a sin and an affront to an almighty God. He didn't just cheat and fudge the numbers on his tax form. He stole, which is a sin and an affront to an almighty God. It's time for us to start calling things out the way it is. We need to understand something. When God's word says it, we obey it. When God's word calls it out, we don't try to dress it up and make it more palatable for someone else because, oh, God forbid, we step on a toe. Drunkenness is sin, and we've got to quit passing it off at social partying. And we, we need to understand abuse is sin. I don't care what the reason is. Abuse is abuse is abuse, and it's sin, and it needs to stop. Theft is sin. No matter how big or how small you might think it is, theft is sin. It's not cheating on your taxes. It's stealing. And the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Pornography is sin. You got a problem with it? Throw your phone away on the way out. And we got to quit dancing around the subjects. Abuse, uh, murder. Listen, I'm not talking about going to your neighbor's house and shooting them in the head. I'm talking about murdering of innocent babies. Why do we even have to discuss it? It's sin. And we've got to quit sidestepping sin. Racial intolerance in any direction is sin. And we've got to quit excusing this stuff. Sex before marriage is sin. And we've got to quit winking at it. 
Bible lets us know any sick, any sex, uh, not as God created it, one man, one woman in the bonds of marriage is sin. I don't care what we might think or what we might hope for. We've got to be honest with what God's word tells us. When did we get to the place where we want to rip out pages of the word of God and pretend some of this stuff isn't there? A husband not loving his wife is sin. And he ought to hit the altar. A a wife not respecting her husband is sin. And she ought to hit the altar. The Bible doesn't say if they deserve it. The Bible says do it. Parents not teaching God's word to their children and raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is sin. Children not obeying their parents is sin. Not spending time with God regularly, not studying the word of God, not praying is sin. Forsaking the house of God when we have the ability to be there sin. This is not thus saith Andy Lake. I'm just giving you what the Bible tells us. Now, what do we do with all this? I want you to understand the grace that is found in this locust plague. We see the locust plague. We see the hand of God come on his people. And we think, wow, they got a spanking. That's grace. He could have wiped them out and killed every last one of them. Think back to the days of Noah. He finds eight people. Think back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Just two and their two daughters. And one of them never really left. He could have wiped out all of them and just kept Joel and Amos and Hosea, some of the people that were actually paying attention. Instead of wiping them out and just killing them all, he sends some locusts. Do you see the grace? The police officer just flipped on his lights to let me know I was going the wrong way. Do you see the grace? Could have pulled me over and given me a ticket. He just laughed. Just let me know, hey, wrong way, buddy. When we see the warnings of God, we need to take them for what they are. The grace of God giving you another chance. So what about you? Has God been trying to get your attention on anything lately? You ever get that sick to your stomach, that 
in the pit of your stomach feeling that I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. I know better. I shouldn't be acting this way. I shouldn't be living this way. That's a warning from God. Things not going perfectly right, and it's kind of an uncommon thing. I really shouldn't be having these problems. I don't understand why I'm having these issues. That could be a warning from God. We must learn to notice these warnings. Understand what Joel is trying to say. In verse 15, he goes into it. He says, alas for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand, and destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Wake up. Wake up. The storm is coming. Quit living lazily as if nothing can happen to you. My friend, you are not promised next week. You're not promised tomorrow. You're promised nothing more than this moment right now. And it is the grace and mercy of God that you are here right now, hearing God's warning to quit playing around. Are you wasting away the days of grace? Is God trying to get your attention about something and you're just ignoring it? Maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior and he has been nudging you. He has been tugging on your heart saying you need to get this right. It is the grace of God that you have to sit through and suffer this bald-headed chubby preacher. That's the grace of God to hear the warnings from God's word. But the day of the Lord is at hand. Has God been trying to get your attention? And the grace that he has been giving you, are you taking that for granted? This is a warning given in love. We sang about that amazing grace a while ago. You see, the grace of God is all through these pages. He does not have to be patient. He doesn't have to be. God's giving you chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. It is grace upon grace upon grace. But my friend... The day of the Lord, when he says, I've had enough, is nearer than you might think. You and I know the truth. The truth already given to us. And yet he gives us another opportunity right now to bow the knee to him. To take our eyes off of ourselves. Ask forgiveness for the idolatry and to turn. Wake up. That's what the prophet's telling us. Wake up. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, beyond what mere words can say. I thank you that you 
love us, that you care for us enough to warn us. And Father, the way you give to us what we do not deserve, the patience we don't deserve, the chances we don't deserve. And God, you continue to do this over and over again, but we need to realize that there is coming a day where all that's going to be done. So, Father, for the person here who perhaps does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray a special prayer just for them. Father, you would stir in their heart and their mind right now their need for you. Father, for the person here who perhaps does know you as Savior, but they've been trying to live a duplicitous life, one foot in the church, the other foot in the world. Father, I pray that you would nudge their heart as well that you would knock them back out of the world and into the light. Father, for the individual who has been striving to live the life that you have called them to live, and sometimes, Father, that can be very burdensome and tiring. I pray, Lord, that you would give them an encouraging word, that you would lift their head up, remind them that you love them, You're not asking for flawlessness, just growth. So, Father, help us with the warnings that perhaps you have put in our life. May they be great or small or whatever it might be, but help us to heed them and to take seriously the grace that has been extended to us. So, Father, I ask that you would move in this invitation. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio. 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.